We are It's More Than Just a Chant. We are inspirational creators, difference makers, world changers, and we are one community. Join alums Jared and Ross as they uncover stories of Penn Staters and their unique professional and personal journeys. We are Penn State, and this is Lion Legacy. episode 24 of lion legacy and ross we actually have a special guest for the intro we do we jared mentioned her many many weeks ago but she's here with us julia mcginty hi how's everyone doing we're good we're happy to uh, have you join us here good glad to be here how's the summer been for you now this is recording right so right you could be honest and we'll then we'll edit if you're not telling the truth (laughs) it's been good it's been busy summer in addition to lion legacy i've been doing some other part-time jobs so i've been working for a wedding catering service i've done some babysitting and i'm just trying to keep the hustle going and hopefully one day pay off my student loans love it give us an idea going back to penn state in the fall what are you most excited about I think I'm most excited for State College itself. I really love the area and I have my own favorite cafes and spots there now that I go to. They probably see my face way too often at Webster's, which is this bookstore cafe fusion. So yeah, I'm definitely excited to go back there. Yeah, and you're a rising junior, so you've really only experienced like the true Penn State for a semester and a quarter, right? I had one normal semester fall my freshman year and I was actually able to go to Thon, which was early February. And then early March is when everything shut down. So I remember it was right before spring break. My mom came to pick me up and we made the decision to pack up my entire dorm room and just take everything home. And I'm glad we did because then we got an email saying that we weren't allowed to go back. So uh, yeah, crazy, crazy and remote, everything remote since then, everything on Zoom. Let's hope that you get two years of just like normal, great Penn State. Hopefully. That's like fingers fingers crossed for all of us. Yeah, and we'll have to see you in person because we've never met in person. But when Ross and okay. I get up to a football game, we'll have to meet you in person and uh, and take you out, certainly. So want to just also thank you for all the hard work and, and effort that you've put into this. This is started as a labor of love, and you're part of this kind of labor of love movement. And glad you've been able to be part of it for this summer. Yeah, glad to have been here. Awesome. So speaking of, let's transition into an episode that you helped edit. So thank you very much, Elizabeth Miller. Yeah, all of our guests has a wonderful story. Elizabeth started her own company called Happy Healthy Caregiver based out of her own experience. She's a corporate background like many others. And then over time, her parents started aging and she was tasked with becoming the main caregiver for them in addition to one of her siblings who is uh, disabled. And so she learned a caring for her parents as they got older, but not only about how to take care of her parents and her brother, but how to take care of herself. And then ultimately she was able to take that experience and help others who are facing similar situations with being a 
tasked with being a caregiver for others. So certainly not something that you plan for in advance, but a lot of great lessons from Elizabeth's experience. We learned a lot. She has a great attitude and we certainly admire what she's done. So we're sure that you will learn a lot and you'll enjoy our conversation with Elizabeth Miller. All right, let's welcome Elizabeth Miller, 1993 graduate in broadcast journalism. While having a full-time corporate job, being a wife and a parent and a caregiver to her parents and brothers, Elizabeth started Happy Healthy Caregiver. She's a certified caregiving consultant, podcast host of Happy Healthy Caregiver, and author of Just For You, a daily self-care journal. Her work and story have been featured in the Washington Post and Women's Day. Elizabeth, we're excited to hear about the great work you are doing. Welcome to Lion Legacy. Thank you. Thank you, Jared and Ross, for having me. Elizabeth, thanks for coming on. Many startups and passion projects originate from people's own personal experiences. When someone notices a gap or a need somewhere and then they act upon it. We'd love to hear about your journey as a caregiver. That definitely rings true for me, turning pain into purpose type of story. So I am one of six kids. I do have an older brother with developmental disability, although I'd never really considered myself a caregiver until I was an adult. My parents had chronic health issues most of my adult life. I'm getting ready to hit a big milestone birthday next month, the big 5-0. Most of my adult life was a long time, and they've had chronic health issues, COPD, diabetes, morbid obesity. My dad had psoriasis. They both had sleep apnea. Mom had depression. So I affectionately call them a cocktail of different needs. And at the same time, my husband was primary caregiver for his mom who was battling or living with lung cancer, frankly. We called 2014 our spiral year where things were just kind of losing control. We were taking turns. I was tag teaming with my siblings. A nice little note for this podcast is that four out of five of us attended Penn State. So grateful that I have my siblings support. We frankly thought we were going to lose my mom and then Long story short, my dad was the stronger of the two, and he ended up passing away August of 2014. And later that year, in December of 2014, we also lost my mother-in-law. Her battle ended. So we are very familiar, my husband and I, with the sandwich generation. We had two active kids in, in travel sports. One played travel baseball, one volleyball. We were in the peak of our career, and we were frankly just like losing our mind. And so I have always considered myself a pretty optimistic person and thought, this is crazy. Felt like really none of my friends were going through it. I was the first. And I looked for things. I went to Google, but I didn't even really know what to search for, frankly. But I did find some books, but didn't have time to read them. And then I just fell back on my broadcast journalism of writing and writing being very therapeutic for me. And so I started blogging. At first, I blogged anonymously. And then I thought, no, this really needs to help people. I can help somebody else that's going through this. Mom did move back so that she had to leave the her beautiful retirement home after my dad passed away. And the nearest family was six hours away. So we moved my mom and we moved my brother back to the Atlanta area. And one of my brothers took my brother with a developmental disability and I had primary care for mom. She was at a very advanced care stage, so she lived in assisted living close by, but that doesn't mean there wasn't a lot 
I think people think there's not a whole lot going on there for a caregiver, but there's still quite a bit going on, even when somebody's in a senior living facility. It was on those rides back and forth to Florida that it just kind of hit me that I needed to make a mindset shift, that I had these three clear examples in front of me of both of my parents and my mother-in-law who all had made lifestyle choices that were affecting our families greatly. And I wanted to have a different life and a different narrative for my family then I needed to figure out how to prioritize my health and happiness. So the first thing I did was just start on Instagram and and I just started posting 100 days of healthy. And I thought, I'm just going to make this an intentional daily thing that I'm really trying to put my own health first. And then the blog happened and the other things layered on after that. Yeah, it's interesting. And I want to get into some of the other things that you're supporting and doing for that community. And when we were thinking about this, you think back to to becoming a parent, and there seems to be so many resources out there in terms of before the baby arrives, once the baby does arrive, going through all the different stages of infant into toddler. But usually there's a lot of planning during that portion. But people seem to get thrown into being a caregiver. And then on top of it, there's a lack of those resources. So I'd love for you to share the level of support that you're providing to this community. Yes, thank you. It's evolved, frankly. I'd say in a nutshell, what I'm all about is providing inspiration and resources to help family caregivers integrate self-care and caregiving into their crazy, busy lives. I have felt like our healthcare system was so fragmented. And I think a lot of people think, oh, surely they're doing this in the hospital system and in the healthcare system. But I can tell you that was not my experience when I would be the person taking my mom to the doctor's appointments, wheeling her in, asking the questions and quick to get information from people about how I could better manage her diabetes and how I could take care of her wounds. But nobody was ever handing me anything to say, wow, your your life has been completely derailed and maybe you need somebody to talk to or you need some support. And so that's the narrative if I was to wave a magic wand that I would want to happen. So I've just started creating stuff. I think self-care for caregivers looks different. I think it's not necessarily about a, a girl's night out and a manicure, pedicure or date night type of thing, but really self-care can be about setting boundaries and learning to ask for help and giving yourself grace versus guilt. And sometimes even just putting that practical systems in place. And so on my site, people will get tools for all of that where I will fast track them to those things. From the business side of as far as like how this is a money-making thing, I'm sure people listening are like, how does she make money doing this? That has evolved over time. And I will say for the first couple of years while I was working strategy jobs, I didn't make money. And I thought a couple times a month, I would be like, what the heck am I doing? I'm just going to ditch this and just phone it in on my day job kind of thing. But it just, you know, propelled me to do more. So the monetization part has really come through. There's a lot of corporations that are looking to reach this caregiving market. And I provide content for a lot of partners. Some of my big ones have been Depend or different tech companies, or like a medication management system. And so I'll do video reviews, I'll write blog posts, uh, either on my site or their site. Then I also do a lot of speaking events, sometimes for employers. I'd love to get in front of groups of people. Our employers are getting it now through COVID that they really need to do stuff for their employees. Benefits and resources makes them more productive employees. And so through the podcast too, I provide advocacy through the story sharing to do a lot of caregiver spotlights so that people aren't just hearing from me and what kind of self-care works 
for me and through my clients, but through people themselves. I do coaching and I also have a live support group in Atlanta through daughterhood.org. So I I guess the way I would phrase is I look at my business like an octopus. It's got a lot of different legs Hmm. and I throw a lot of spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks. Do you find that there's uh, more women in the community or is it fairly equal, equally balanced between men and women? Great question. First, I have to ask y'all, are either one of you a family caregiver? Not not other than to my kids right now. (laughs) Okay. This is good because you'll have some information when the time happens. But I will say, you know, I have noticed through my insights, through my site and my social channels that it's definitely 80% women and 20% men. When I look into the AARP uh, information and the stats there, that it is about two out of three family caregivers are female. It's a good question as to why, like, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's going to be my next question. <laughs> yeah. There, there's three boys in my family and three girls, my dad and my mom, they put the three girls, we're the power of attorneys. And I think some of that is just normal, traditional gender roles and biases of what women's roles are and what men's roles are. I think that's changing. Male caregiver number is starting to rise. Maybe it's because women tend to stay close to home with their aging parents. Maybe it's just the job situation where I think more men are working full-time jobs versus women. And I think also like men have less guilt in hiring help than women do. Like we women, we just feel like we got to do it all. Yeah, very true. Thank you. So many people are likely to think about the the time demands of being a caregiver. I think that's one of the topics that would be front of mind. And while that's certainly an important aspect, we also can't forget about the mental and, and emotional aspects weighing on those caregivers as well. Why does this, these important elements not receive the attention that they deserve? I mean, I think it's mental health overall needs more attention, not just for caregivers, but for everything. And I do think that like, back to the self-care angle, I think there's different types of self-care, right? Like we we think immediately about sleep and exercise and nutrition, like the physical self-care components, but there's a lot of mental and emotional too. There's a big stress on caregivers with a lot of decision fatigue, the constant worrying, a lot of grief, not just grief at end of life, but anticipatory grief, particularly for dementia caregivers, where they're losing someone before they're losing someone. And then all the impacts to everything, like you just constantly feel like you're never doing enough. I remember writing a blog post about like it feeling like you're feeding a nest of hungry birds, like you're this mother robin and you're going to get these worms and there's all these mouths. It's a lot, your impact on your career and your kids and your marriage. So I think, I know I try on my site to balance it out with the mental and emotional self-care resources, not just the physical. Yeah, so true. And I think you're spot on in terms of how do we bring mental health higher up in terms of the conversation just in general. And I think we're starting to see that shift and hopefully we'll continue to see more and more of a shift there. It's interesting because we've been speaking a lot about the caregiver, but I'm sure it's also so tough on the person who is actually needing that care. One, all of a sudden they've lost a sense of independence. And then two, there's probably like, oh, I don't want to be seen as a burden for the caregiver. Can you maybe share a little bit how you're catering to that audience in terms of some of the materials that you're posting or or talking about? Yeah, of course. It's hard, right? Like I know for my mom, she went from living with her parents to getting married and I had to teach her basically how to advocate for herself with different healthcare providers, but also 
I think it's a lot about just encouraging caregivers and and everyone really to just have compassion and empathy, not sympathy, but really just putting yourself in their place and being vulnerable. I think for me, when I would butt heads with my mom in particular, I had to finally get vulnerable with her and just establish some boundaries and just let her know that I loved her and that I really was not trying to step on her toes. I just wanted to keep her safe. And then I had to learn to accept the current situation. And I think, again, dementia caregivers, like you, you can't go back to where they were. Caregiving is a lot about letting go of control. And it's a hard thing to do, especially if you're a control freak. But there's also a lot, I think, that care recipients can do for themselves. And so we want to foster that independence. As caregivers, I think we tend to try to keep taking things on our plate. But by helping to keep our care recipient more independent, we're keeping them healthier. You know, so that gives them the physical activity, that gives them mental activity. And it's okay if it's not perfect. I know, Russ, you mentioned you're a parent. It's you have to do the same things with your kids. It's, they're going to make the bed and it's not going to look exactly like you're going to make the bed. And that's okay. And then just tools for courageous conversations, I call them. The words to use and the I language versus the you language. You know, I feel this instead of pointing a finger and say, you do this. And that needs to come up because we can't have them driving on the road if it's unsafe or, or living alone if it's unsafe. And so it gets into some hard, courageous conversations there. So Jared mentioned earlier about how people tend to get thrown into the caregiving role, often at times, I imagine, very unexpectedly, or perhaps they're not preparing for it like they would in a different stage of life. Do you find that people, at least in these days, are they having those conversations earlier? Are they trying to prepare to be a caregiver and think about what that preparation might look like before they are actually in that role? And if so, what are those conversations like? Yeah, I, I think it's getting better. I think it's the short answer where the other thing that I've noticed in the six years of doing this is that my age demographic audience is getting younger and younger. There are more millennial caregivers and young carers than ever. And people are helping their parents or their grandparents at a younger age. There are some tools that I'd love to throw out to people that can have those conversations earlier. One of them is five wishes. And then another one is called the conversation project. And it's, they just give you the verbiage to use. And it's not a one and done kind of conversation. It's usually just using examples of your friends and what you're seeing and having those conversations with your family members. And it's definitely gotten my husband and I and my kids, like being that we've lived all through this, it's like this, I don't want this, or I do want this, or it, it does hone in on what your own personal decisions are. And then of course you got to get those in writing. It's so important to have those conversations up front. And uh, I'm glad to hear more and more people are, are having them. I want to go back a little bit because you mentioned that you used to be in IT and strategy and you started this the happy, healthy caregiver actually in 2015, but recently actually left your full-time job. Curious on what that trigger was to say, I'm going to put all my energy into happy, healthy caregiver. I've always had in the back of the mind that I wanted to do this, but I have two kids in college and, and the paycheck was really something that was hard to give up for many years. But in 2020, I think for a lot of people, things got a little more fine-tuned and clear. And I, I know I had taken a blow in my career where in 2019, I was chosen as a one of six people in my Fortune 1000 company to earn a trip and was well-respected in my company. And then 
in the year 2020, I was furloughed for two months and it completely knocked my socks off. I just didn't see it coming. I thought, but it made sense looking back. It's like I had a very strategic role and they were just figuring out how to keep the lights on. But what that allowed me to do in those two months is I just kept my schedule and started leaning into my side hustle because I didn't know if I was going to have a job, frankly. And so I thought, here it is, this side hustle that I've been wanting to do. Thank you, company, for giving me this bandwidth to lean in. And so I got some new partnerships. A lot of people were doing more virtual events. And then good news, I got asked to come back and I did come back. But then it got to the point where it it felt like I was doing two jobs at once and it it got to be too much. And this is my baby. I can't let the happy, healthy caregiver part go. So a lot of tearful conversations with my husband, if I'm being honest, because mammoth pay cut, but I believe in the mission. And I think that COVID has made it worse for caregivers and they need our help more than ever. Which is a perfect segue into the next question. I was going to talk just about exactly about that topic, but the pandemic bringing a certain level, I guess, a new level of challenge to caregivers, people that were perhaps helping an elderly parent or parents on a day-to-day basis. And now it's a challenge to even potentially see them with all of the restrictions that were going on last year people weren't able to see their their family members. Do you have any stories, whether it's personally that you heard or from your community, talking about how people manage through that tough time? I have so many stories. There's not a caregiver that I've spoken with that it hasn't affected in some way. And, and like you said, a visitation and people worrying that their loved ones were going to die from isolation versus COVID. And some people did lose their parents from, from the COVID pandemic. And there's also the, the depression, I think, and the stress increases. They're trying to manage their kids' education virtually. They're not getting enough help in their home. Some of them looking at getting senior living communities and then just put a halt on that. And then I know for me personally, at some point, the the reins for caregiving for my mom moved from me to my older sister. And mom and my sister live in Michigan, where my parents had a summer home. And then my sister lived there full time. My mom had been on hospice the last two years. So I just continued to fly up to see them once a quarter. That was a system that we had in place as I would go to, to once a quarter and either relieve my sister or provide extra hands. Kept that going during COVID was traveling when really no one else was really even thinking about it, but it just was not an option. Sadly, my mom passed away in September. And part of the craziness of it all is I have a son who's a freshman at UGA and he got COVID the week that my mom was, that my mom passed. And so that made the memorial very complicated for me. I couldn't participate in some of the funeral arrangements and had to be isolated for about a week from my family members. And I just kind of felt like I got shortchanged on that like group grieving process, if you will. We figure stuff out in my family. And so we, we put together a beautiful Zoom memorial. So I think that was something that was a silver lining, frankly, as we started digging into all the pictures of mom and put like this great slideshow presentation together. And I know my kids and my nieces and nephews were like, I never knew that about Mimi, they call her. Um, So it was this great legacy story that we all worked together and told. And so I did not get COVID from my son, which was good, but it did put a monkey wrench in things. And now I know we're at the tail end of things here, hopefully, but I'm also in a caregiving situation for my aunt. Both of my parents are deceased. And now my aunt was a huge Penn State fan. In fact, 
fact, me growing up as a teenager in Georgia and then coming back to Penn State because I was so mad at my parents after we moved from Pennsylvania, I said, I'm still going to Penn State. And my little sister did too. And my aunt and my uncle and my grandma really were like my home away from home up here. When you go far away to school, you can't go home for all the holidays. And so I went to their house a lot and got to spend a lot of time with them. So she's currently in an end of life situation. And I've got a cousin who's an only child and we're not going to see her stuck. We're going to be here for them. We dedicate this podcast then to your aunt. So ah, Chris Swope. Yes. Yes. We dedicate it to her. I love it. We love the Penn State connection. And certainly through this, this very difficult time are supporting you and supporting her from afar as well. She would be so thrilled to hear her niece on this podcast. She'd be telling all her friends about it. And I'm grateful for the flexibility, frankly, with the day job thing that it can be here. Want to switch into our partnership with the Daily Collegian. A lot of alumni listen to this podcast, but also a lot of students. And we have a great partnership with the Daily Collegian. And every episode, we get a number of questions that come in from students. This week, we chose one from Anthony Guarino, a senior studying business management. And Anthony wants to know, do you have a specific hobby or outlet that you utilize to keep yourself grounded when balancing all your different responsibilities? That's a great question. And one that I love, right? Because I'm a self-care bully. I, I want to make sure that the caregivers are, are doing something. And so I practice what I preach. For me, I love to read. I've been in a book club in my neighborhood for, I think, I don't know, 18 years. So we do read the books. We also enjoy some cocktails and they have basically been my rope team throughout all of my experiences. And my latest hobby is pickleball. It was something we picked up during the pandemic. My husband watched some YouTube videos and the my kids were home from college. We got some good time with them. And so the four of us and some neighbors, we've been playing pickleball. I love it. That's one of the fastest growing sports, I believe, right now. Yeah, it's super fun. It's super fun. Check it out. Jared, put it on the list. We got through our, our podcast. We're, we're riding motorbikes. We're visiting Alaska. Pickleball's next. Pickleball. We'll do it. I love it. I love it. Can you talk a little bit? Curious. You talk about a lot of times caregivers living very close, but there's obviously also a lot that you've mentioned as well, where caregivers are actually living afar. And I'm sure that's a completely different dynamic. Maybe sometimes people look at it easier. But then there's probably a lot that are saying, yeah, this is even a lot harder. Yeah, we call that a long distance caregiver. And that was something we've experienced in my family. I you know, had sister Michigan in Pennsylvania when I was caring for mom. And now then I was a long distance caregiver. So there are things that people can do to help out. And I have a few resources that like lay out all the responsibilities so that you can divide and conquer. But a couple of them that come to mind is just paying the bills, like changing the address so that you can pay the bills for that family member. Even having a regular FaceTime or companion call with the care recipient, check in or check in with the caregiver, the primary caregiver, to make sure that you're encouraging them. Doing research for different diseases or different prescription medications. And then sometimes just sending money, right? Like you can send a DoorDash gift card or or send a little gift in the mail for the caregiver or the care recipient. I know there's some great membership boxes that are so fun that my mom really enjoyed with some healthy snacks or some ones catered to older adults. And then so there's even coordinating lawn and housekeeping type of stuff, I think. So there's a lot of ways to help. It's a team sport, caregiving. 
Excellent. So Elizabeth, we want to know what's next for you and Happy Healthy Caregiver. How are you looking to support your community as you you know move this these efforts forward? Well, I'm just going to put it out there in case you've got some serious connections at listening here, but my dream would be to have a caregiver talk show, but that's not going to happen soon that I'm aware of, but I'm open to lots of possibilities. I've got some speaking things lined up, particularly my favorite thing to do is caregiver appreciation events or women's retreats. November's National Caregivers Month. I'm always super busy then. And then one thing I'm excited about is I just got off a, like a respite caregiver event. I'm a, a ambassador for a nonprofit as well called No Barriers USA. And they do these amazing free caregiving events in various places. And so just got back from Colorado and we'll be going in another one of those in August. And so again, I'm grateful for the flexibility so that I can really get to know a group of caregivers and and watch them transform throughout this process of coming in weary and leaving recharged with lots of tools in their belt. I think another thing too that I'd love is using my IT experience and the strategic business plan and everything that I really feel like we need a scalable solution and then probably technology is going to be needed to do that. There's also some consulting that I think I could be doing for different apps and different products. And so those are the kinds of things that I'm exploring along with the content partnerships and speaking opportunities. That's quite a bit. And hopefully anyone who's <laughs> listening right now that is in some sort of production, TV production, film production can better help you tell the story and bring it to even more people. That's awesome. Never know. You got to put it out there. Life on tech sport is what my dad said, who was a PSU grad class of 1960, played baseball at Penn State. A true lion legacy family which brings us to our transition into the Penn State portion of the show. And we're going to actually put you in the Lion's Den, which is brought to you by our friends at Lion's Pride and reminisce about your time at Penn State. Just remember when you want to show off your Penn State pride, visit lions-pride.com for the latest and greatest apparel and merchandise. Elizabeth, we, we've loved hearing about your story and how and all the great work that you're doing with Happy Healthy Caregiver. Tell us about how Penn State has prepared you for your corporate career that you had for many years, and then also how you feel it's prepared you for the work that you're doing now in the caregiving community. I think it's prepared me super well. I didn't connect it all together at first, but I studied broadcast journalism and quickly realized I didn't want to work midnight to six in Podunk, Georgia and (laughs) make next to no money. And so I started working at, at Turner Broadcasting, which is hometown in Atlanta, and worked my way there. And I fell into IT, basically. They were building their systems group up, and I made a lot of connections with people. And really, I started doing business analysis. How you draw a line from broadcast journalism to business analysis is weird. But when you think about it, I had to ask a lot of questions and I had to document stories, what people needed different applications to do for them. And frankly, if I was going to do it over, I probably should have been an industrial engineer, frankly, but that's a different story. But but asking questions and writing the user stories down was a good fit for me in IT. And then I worked my way into project management and product management. And I did that for 20 years at Aaron's Incorporated is where I spent this last seven years of my, my time, which is a big retail slash financial chain for uh, rent-to-own furniture. And now making this pivot to doing Happy Healthy Caregiver full-time, I think it's really cool that I'm getting to use my broadcast 
journalism skills all over again. And so I get to use the broadcast part with the podcast, amplify people's stories, and which really I see as a form of advocacy and my speaking presentation skills and being a caregiver and having to juggle all these things. I've just have to do things more off the cuff and I've just been more comfortable with that. And then in networking, I think is a big part of it all. Thank you, Penn State, for preparing me well. Love it. Toughest question of them all, favorite Penn State memory? This is hard, but I will say like, I I made some lasting friendships early on at Penn State and being from Georgia and wanting to go to University Park, be on the University Park campus, I had to go my freshman summer session. So right from high school, I went right into college and I thought I was going to miss out on all that stuff. And it ended up being so good. It allowed me to ease into the college experience and I met some great people who I had the, my first roommate freshman summer was Tracy Blackledge. You might uh, recognize the last name there, Todd Blackledge. And so she introduced me to someone who's my, still my best friend to this day, Erin Modrak, and her dad was the scout of the Steelers. And so immediately they taught me football because I didn't know, like, I remember her teaching me like, oh, you get four tries to do 10 yards and all of that. And so the tailgating with my aunt and uncle, coming up. We stayed till the very end. My dad was always adamant, like football games, you never leave early. Anything can happen. And I've seen it, that Notre Dame game where they take the field goal post down, all of it. Love it. Excellent. If you could visit with Elizabeth as an 18-year-old freshman entering University Park at Penn State, what advice would you share with yourself? Probably two things. First, I would say study abroad. It wasn't until later I got the travel bug and I wish I had done that. And then also I minored in French and I would definitely say minor in entrepreneurship or something else that would have been more useful, but that's it. Not too many regrets. That's good. And I agree on the study abroad. I didn't do it either. And looking back, I wish I did. And entrepreneurship, I think is relatively new at Penn State. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if it's been a minor or a major. That makes me feel better because I didn't think it was either. And I will say I did travel with two Penn Staters after college. I remember planning our, that was before internet and cell phones and all of that. And so we planned our nine weeks, 13 countries adventure. Was oh, amazing. nice. Yeah. Very cool. Cool. Very cool. So you're in Georgia. I know when someone is thinking about college, I know maybe you try to bring up Penn State. How do you convince them or what do you tell tell them about Penn State, why they should go to a very cold, happy <laughs> valley? Yeah, you do. It's got everything other than I'd say the weather, but the campus the, with the college town right there, great education, fun, like you're going to get it all in one package. With my two kids, we've tried to capture that in the South without having the out-of-state, the out-of-state expense. And so I've got one at UGA and one at University of Alabama. Um, but we all know where the best campus is, though, in the college town. And Elizabeth, how do you feel most connected to the university these days? So being in a Penn State family, like we get together for all of the games in the fall and we watch them together and we wear our blue and white and we have a Penn State tailgate roast. I'm not real good at making it, but my sister rocks it you keep this roasting all day and slice it thin and sing the Penn State fight song. Dad taught us well. We still know it. That's how we keep it alive. I love it. Love the, the true lion legacy through and through there with your family. 
I want to first thank you for for coming on and and sharing the story. And I know your husband actually encouraged you because he listened to a podcast and you reached out to us and we're extremely excited and glad that you came on because this is a really important topic and a topic that I don't think a lot of people speak about or think about until it really happens and it really gets real for them. And I just love your story because I think you easily, as so many others, could have that victim mentality, like, why me? I've got so many other things on my plate. But you took control of your life. You saw the positive, And you figured out a way to make it all work in a, in a very crazy and complex environment. And people always think about, hey, how do I have this like balanced life? And it's really not about balance. It's about really finding how to make it all work and be happy. You did that for yourself, but then you found a way to make it happen for other people and created this community and these resources. And I think that's really admirable. And I'm glad you came on to, to share that story. So want to thank you. We wish you continued success along the way. And we always end with, we are Penn State. Lion Legacy is a Baruta production. If you enjoy this Labor of Love podcast, we'd certainly appreciate it if you would subscribe and write us a review on your favorite podcast platform.